everyone. This is Ekaterina Howard, current SLD administrator. This is our eighth SLD podcast episode, and today we welcome Alicia Yorganosova to talk about the localization certificate program she has recently completed. Welcome to the podcast, Alicia. Thanks for having me, Katya. Right, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Alyssa Jorgen, officially Nosova is uh, a married addition that's unofficial, but <laughs> uh, I guess it gives me some street cred as a, as a Russian English translator that way. Um, so I came to translation uh, with, from a background in historical musicology, which uh, is not probably the most straightforward path one could take, but it was my interest in Russian cultural history, specifically um, 19th and 20th century music that led me to study Russian. And uh, from there, I made several trips through some um, government-funded exchange programs, uh, CLS, and I ended up doing a translation studies program at Moscow State while I was working there. Um, which eventually led to employment at Yandex as an interface translator full-time in their Moscow office. And in that capacity, I also wore some other hats as sort of a localization assistant manager. It was more of a hybrid role that you don't really see so often in the localization industry in the U.S. anymore. Um, but... I and my fellow translators there were also tasked with things like evaluating external vendor deliverables, uh, preparing quality metrics, meeting with project managers um, for Yandex's various services to uh, agree on project scope and schedules and that kind of thing, preparing glossaries. So that sort of piqued my interest in the international business aspect of the localization industry. And when I moved back to the U.S. in 2015, I kind of thought of how I could seek out opportunities that extended a bit beyond translating. And I came across this program which is called Software Localization, Customizing Software for the World, uh, offered through UW-Seattle, and thought that that was the opportunity I was looking for to, that would enable me to explore opportunities further upstream in the industry again. Uh, so that should give you some idea of uh, how I got where I am. But tell us more. So you were talking about um, opportunities upstream. So, so why? Why? Um, I think part of it is that my personality sort of lends itself more to working in an office rather than by myself in front of a computer, which, you know, I, I think I'm a bit more extroverted than the, the typical freelance translator. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of working at Yandex where you know, it involved much more face-to-face -face meetings and things like that. Um, but then also, I think most of us as translators at this point are seeking out 
ways to expand our service offerings in response to market pressures that we can't really control. So part of that, which I know, Katya, you've also done, has been exploring more of these transcreation copywriting roles, uh, which I've also worked with many tech startups over the past couple years in, in that capacity. But then also working at Yandex, I did become much more interested in the localization engineering aspects of the industry and, you know, the other management capacities. So I was just thinking, how can I kind of combine all of these things to either offer more services to the startups I work with or to go back to an in-house position in an LSP or uh, an enterprise with a localization department. So yeah, I just kind of thought, well, no matter where this takes me, it's going to be beneficial in some way. So when you were looking for um, courses like that, why did you decide to uh, take that particular one? Well, there aren't too terribly many courses like this one. You know, I already had a master's degree, um, like I mentioned earlier, in musicology, and just, you know, the stage of life I'm in, I wasn't really going to invest the time and money to do another whole graduate program, such as the, the one offered by the Middlebury Institute. And other than that, the only two options for certificates that I know of in localization are the UW Seattle one or say the Localization Institute. So, and the UW Seattle offered an online opportunity. So the program I took was about one third in-person students who met every week in Seattle and two thirds online students. So it, it, yeah, basically it just was the most logical opportunity out there for me. Sure, makes sense. So if, um, if we talk about the contents of the course, any favorite parts, least favorite parts? Because frankly, engineering might sound scary to you know, people like me. Sure. Okay, so maybe I should start by saying that this program was nine months and divided into three separate courses. So the first one was Intro to Localization, the second one was uh, Localization Engineering, and the third one was Localization Management. And what was really cool about it was all of the professors were not university full-time employees. These were people who work in our industry, both on the client and the vendor side. So we had solution architects from Aravia explaining the, you know, fundamentals of localization engineering. And we had uh, log PMs from Microsoft doing the management class. So, you know, it was not so heavy on theory, much more on practice, which, you know, is what you want out of a, out of a program like this. Uh, as far as which sections I, I enjoyed the most. Um, I would say that the ones that focused on 
sort of the nuts and bolts of the engineering processes were the most intriguing to me just because since I worked at Yandex, um, that was sort of like a black box for me. Like I didn't really know what went on before I got an XLEAVE file. And so getting a much better sense of how you get from a content management system all the way to the handoff for the vendors was really eye-opening. And I think that I, I have a much um, better sense of the very specific areas that, that I can keep kind of diving further and further into to improve like very concrete skills in those specific areas. That sounds really interesting. But when we talked earlier, I think you mentioned that the uh, project manager uh, part involved some group projects. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so each one of these modules ended with a pretty lengthy exam and or group project. And the group component was particularly important for the, the final management course. And with that, uh, they divided us into groups of five or six and assigned us an actual low project manager from a Seattle-based company. So our leader was a guy from Amazon who is like a you know, 15, 20-year veteran in the industry. And he was really great at sort of taking a backseat role at first and letting us grapple with, okay, how are we going to make our schedule more agile? How are we going to source vendors for less common languages like Icelandic? And what are we going to pay them? And how are we going to schedule everything so that all these different components that are contingent upon each other are getting done on time and facilitating the final deadline and things like that. So yeah, that was really great. And then he kind of stepped in and threw a wrench into everything at the last minute and, <laughs> and uh, saw how we would deal with those kind of real life situations where all of a sudden the whole scope changes and the final deadline is still the same. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or another group I know their wrench was that their debt, that their um, budget was about a third of what it needed to be. And so, <laughs> yeah, so, so basically, just how are you going to deal as a group with these seemingly impossible situations that could come up without totally uh, ruining your relationship with this client or, or needing to... Uh, impose some kind of crazy criteria on everything. Well, can you tell us how it all ended? How it ended? Well, for us, we made some concessions. So, uh, you know, it turned out that it wasn't all that crucial to have 75 pages of uh, end user documentation translated into perfect Icelandic. Uh, so we were able to cut some corners with things like that. Um, you know, I know translators probably don't like to hear this, but part of the solution was uh, 
machine translation with post editing for some languages, which of course cuts some time and a decent amount of cost. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of shuffling involved too, right? So in the management course, we talked about things like the critical path along a schedule where, you know, did you have to make gun charts? Uh, no. no oh, <laughs> but, you know, there, there are ways where you can, what they call crash resources along, um, you know, certain sections of the critical path if you need to, in order to facilitate a deadline, things like that. So, in general, the management course was divided up so that each week we took a different aspect of localization management and talked about it in depth. So one week was scope management, the next was you know, resource management, uh, stakeholder management, it, you know, it kind of proceeded along those lines. I feel like it changed your, um, the way you work or the way you sort of, your understanding of the uh, LSP position? Oh, definitely. Um, I think one, one thing that stuck with me, which, which sounds just completely unbelievable when you first hear it, is that the LSP's core competency is not translation. Um, and this is kind of one of the running themes in a book, which was released pretty recently, the general theory of the translation company, uh, written by uh, Renato Beninato and Tucker Johnson. And the whole idea is, you know, the localization industry is really this pyramid where, of course, translation and, and, and transcreation are totally central to it. I mean, they're the lifeblood. You, you wouldn't get anywhere without it. But the LSPs themselves often outsource that actual work, as, as we know very well. And when you take a course like this localization management one, you, you really get a sense for how big the iceberg is and that there's just so many tasks in the engineering realm and the, you know, the DTP realm, um, the management realm that are uh, further down that pyramid that has translation as the peak, right? So. Yeah, I definitely have um, a greater understanding and respect for all the work that get, goes into that XLIF file before it comes to me as a translator, basically. So what comes next now, now that you have completed the course? Well, I'm still, I don't have it 100% figured out. I am, I have applied for a few different positions, some remote, some in my area that are variously labeled localization specialist, uh, localization manager, that type of thing. And I'm also looking for ways to reach out to more tech startups that maybe I can offer services that are more in the localizability realm of things too. So, you know, maybe companies that wrote their product without any regard to the fact that they might want to expand into international markets and that actually need a lot of help 
on the end of communicating with their developers in order to prepare resources that are localizable, things like that. So yeah, I'm still kind of exploring the different ways that I can work as a translator and a, and a copywriter, but also involve these elements that are further upstream in the localization process. Uh, for other SLD members, who would you say would benefit the most from such a localization course? Or do you think that anybody who wants to change their career path in translation could benefit from it? You know, I think anybody who is reasonably curious about global business more broadly would find this course to be very useful. You know, you don't, I know you mentioned earlier that the word engineering sounds kind of scary, but one thing I realized is that translators are pretty well suited to diving into the world of programming languages uh, because we understand how syntax works partly, right? It, I think one thing that freaks people out when they say open a text editor and look at a XML file or an XLE file or something, it's just that they're not familiar with the syntax. And if you spend a little bit of time um, even doing some of the courses on lynda.com, for example, which is LinkedIn's professional development platform, uh, you know, you can get a grasp on just looking at these files that, that seem so foreign at first. And, you know, you can, you can get to the point where you can pick them out and understand what's going on fairly quickly. So I would encourage people not to, not to be too freaked out. And, you know, even concepts that were really foreign to me before I took this course, like what does it mean to parse a file, right? I mean, things have developed so quickly in software development and, you know, the tools that we use now are, are so much more user-friendly than they used to be, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm not old enough to, to know what the first version of Trotto's was like to work with, but I mean, I heard that it, you practically had to be a rocket scientist or something to figure out the interface. And now things are at the point where, you know, that the MemoQ project management software has a GUI interface for, for file parsing, you know, where you can create cascading filters. And uh, if, you, if you spend a few weeks getting, getting pretty good with regular expressions or something like that, you can probably take your skills a lot further than, than maybe you thought you could. So, so yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for, for linguists. And also I would just encourage people to really embrace the idea of, of learning by doing. Because one thing I found when I started taking these courses on lynda.com and stuff is if you're somebody who's, who's used to learning by reading, it might be a little hard to adopt the approach of, you know, say you're learning JavaScript, like I took a JavaScript course, of 
overlooking some of the symbols and things that are, aren't explained there very clearly right in front of you and just playing around with it, you know, uh, using one of these editors that you can download for free, like Xcode or Atom or something, and just figuring out what the result is with some basic knowledge. So I think between, between those two things, getting past the, the daunting syntax and embracing the idea of playing around with this stuff, that linguists have enormous potential for working in, in other capacities in the industry that are more technical. Okay, well, I kind of suspect you lost a lot of our listeners at the uh, cascading filters part. Oh, like sorry. before JavaScript, but maybe that's just me. Uh, so for uh, for those of us who are more on the translation is all I want to do is the best thing ever. And I want to practice my craft instead of learning JavaScript or regex, as God forbid. What would you say to them? Well, you know, I, I don't mean to be prescriptive. I think that... I'm sure that there are still domains where people can make all of their bread just on pure translating, you know, like I, I was never a patent translator, but I'm, I can't, I can't see that there won't be a need for patent translators despite the advances in machine translation because there, that field just seems to be so high liability, right? So you know, I, I would hate to discourage people who have found their niche and are doing well in it and truly enjoy that and are experts in their fields to, to go out and learn JavaScript and do something totally different. But I mean, for me, what I was doing was so heavy in technical documentation translation that I saw pretty rapidly that you know, these companies I worked for that had invested in proprietary neural machine translation engines were just really seeing incredibly good results from it already. And that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to command the type of rates that I was used to if I just stuck to um, UI and UA translation. So, for me, this was a good decision, but you know, if somebody wants to keep honing their craft in more of a small niche area of, of just, you know, for lack of a better term, the pure translation world, more power to them, I guess. But for people in search of their niche, that is something they should probably look into. Would you say so? Definitely. I mean, it's, it's one of several, I would say, um, because I know that people have also found kind of a, a side niche for themselves in copywriting or transcreation, or, you know, they've really mastered some of the desktop publishing aspects of what needs to go out in the form of deliverables and things like that. So it just depends on, on what you're drawn to and what what needs you think that you can meet that are kind of on the the sidelines of translation itself 
no, maybe we should just have a whole series of episodes about the sideline of translation. That'd be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the ATA who have been very good about publicizing the idea that you need to find your domain, but they're still very much focused on translation. Uh, you know, when we hear about, well, you need to specify. And diversify. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, I think we're at the point, um, just given how the market is now, that it behooves people to think about how they might diversify beyond just domain. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see how the market continues to change. Thank you so much for telling us about your experience with the Certificate in Localization program. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, to all SLD listeners and non-SLD listeners, see you next time.